But I've been looking forward to tonight a lot because we're going to have a great time in the Word of God. We've worked hard on this. I want to take a minute. Well, let's pray first, and then let me brag on the office staff that put this together and, and just give you a little bit of background. Lord, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for this growth track, and we thank you, Lord, for how it's going to change us, rearrange us, how it's going to help us and bless us and grow us up in the things of God. We all need it, Lord. Thank you for bringing us into maturity in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And thank you for, Lord, renewing our minds and strengthening our faith and establishing us in the truth. In Jesus' name, will you breathe the prayer, church, and say, Lord, tonight I receive your word. Change me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need change, and so do I. Amen. Well, um, just I, I want to just say that the staff did a wonderful job, the office staff, wonderful job on this. Um, we... As you can see, uh, as you open it, it, we give credit. This was written by Pastor Rick Warren and adapted to Turning Point Church by moi. And then the last section on missions, I wrote exclusively myself. So uh, there's sort of a mix here, but, you know, I wouldn't put it in here and I wouldn't teach it to you if it wasn't the Word of God. Um, I have a, if you were to say to me, Jeff, what is the real burden on your heart when it comes to pastoring? And I would have to say to you that one of the primary things that motivates me all the time is I want to see those that God has entrusted to our care established in the truth. Because out there, there is so much false teaching, so much twisted scripture. You know, false teaching flourishes where biblical illiteracy flourishes. The more you know your Bible, the less you're going to be deceived, the less you're going to swallow false teaching. But unfortunately, just so many Christians don't really know the scriptures, they and that's because the pulpit hasn't taught the scriptures. Matter of fact, there's an old saying, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews. You get it? So if you're not being taught the word of God from the pulpit, then you're not going to get it. If the pulpit doesn't know it, how are you going to know it? If the pulpit doesn't go over it, I remember hearing a, a pastor of a larger church, well, a very large church, say a number of years ago, he said, oh, we don't do expository teaching. That's silly. Well, expository teaching is when you take people through the Bible. And this pastor of this very large church said it was silly. Well, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I personally believe that discernment among Christians is at an an all-time historic low. I really do. The things that Christians are swallowing and buying into and believing and and not not even checking to see if it's wrong or right just amazes me continuously. So I... I take you through books on Wednesday night and things like this on Wednesday night because I want to establish you in the truth. John said in in, uh, 1 John, don't know the exact verse, but he said, I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in truth. 
Well, you're not my children, you're God's children, but you are my congregation. And I have no greater joy than to know my congregation walks in truth. Amen? Now, you have in your hand the Growth Track Turning Point Church Manual. The first thing I would do is write my name in it. Because we are happy to give you it, uh, this manual free once. And, and so if you lose it, we want somebody to see your name and somehow get it to you. So I hope you have a pen to write with. If you don't have a pen to write with, you're in real trouble because there's a lot of fill in the blanks in this. So anybody that doesn't have a pen, raise your hand. Uh-oh. Somebody needs to hand out some extra pens. Raise your hand. You need some... Raise your hands, keep them up. What are we going to do? What can we do? Keep your hand up until somebody has compassion on you and gives you a pen. Okay, there's a bunch of them. Keep your hands up. Of course, this will all be edited video-wise because we're going to show this video evermore, and we're sure not going to show this evermore. But we've got to take care of business here. So... Keep your hand up if you don't have a pen, and we pray that everyone gets one, because you've got to have one to go through this. All right? Anyone else? All right, we're good. Everybody has a pen. Praise the Lord. Then if you'll just turn to page four, and where you see Growth Track Table of Contents, and you see there in beautiful colors the four things that we're going to be covering in, in this growth track. And this growth track is really a, a, the pathway to spiritual maturity. It's the pathway to bringing forth fruit in the Christian life. Remember, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Amen. That you should go and bring forth fruit. So Jesus picked you and picked me that we would be fruitful. Now, table of contents, we're going to cover first the foundation. That, we're going to do two weeks each with these four different categories. So the foundation is our salvation, TPC statements, TPC strategy, TPC structure. Then maturity, grasp your Bible, time with God, the habit of prayer, the habit of fellowship, and good habits. We're going to talk about habits. Then ministry, this is one of the best parts of this series. My shape and TPC serving. Now, when we get into my shape, we're going, to be, we're going to be helping you to nail down what God has graced you. Now, you may have already been through this, but you haven't been through it with me. Amen. You've been through some of this uh, upstairs, but, but this is a new, revised, and, and new and improved growth track, and you're going to learn some things that, that were not gone over upstairs. But your shape is how God has made you to minister, what, he's, what he has fashioned you to do to contribute, to minister to the body of Christ? What is your gift? What is your gracing? And our intent is once you know your shape, and that's an acronym, by the way, but once you know your shape, what God's called you to do, we want to see you release to do it. Okay? And then mission, what I wrote, call to proclaim, sharing my testimony, your mission, and TPC membership. Now, let's just go to the very next page. Let's talk about foundation. And let's begin. The basis for this class. Let's everybody read this together. You are a member of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. So everybody say with me, I'm part of a family. 
Now, I'm just going to give you the answer to the blanks, and when I, when I give you the answer to the blank, please fill it in. Don't leave it blank. Blank shouldn't remain blank. Amen? So here's key truths, just starting out foundationally, the key truths from this verse. The church is a family. The church is a family. We are a family. We are not a business. We are not a denomination. We are a family. And God expects you to be a member of a church family. God doesn't anoint cruismatics. You know what a cruismatic is? It's somebody that never lands anywhere. They cruise here, cruise there, cruise everywhere. But the Bible says that those that are planted, everybody say planted. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. There comes a time when you got to land and become a part of a church family. So we can get to know you and you can get to know us. And, and um, so you're a, God expects you to be a member. He expects you to get planted and become a part of a local church and be faithful to it. Amen. And can I add right here, God doesn't call us into a church to meet all of our needs. Come on, everybody. I mean, we go church shopping. It ought not be just, uh, well, let me find a church that meets most of my needs best. No. You become a part of a local church, A, because the Holy Ghost gives you a peace about it. Two, because they're sound in their doctrine. Three, they preach Jesus. Four, they haven't gotten rid of the Word of God. But listen, God puts you into a local church not just to be a receiver, but to be a contributor. So it's not all about all your needs being met, and as soon as your needs aren't being met the way you like, then you go to the next restaurant. There's a whole lot of moving going around. Listen, it shocked me when I moved to Fort Worth and began a pastor in Fort Worth. It shocked me how much movement there was in local churches. I mean, it was like musical chairs. Here for a few months, there for a few months, then back for a few months, then somewhere else for a few months. Listen. Something happens when you get committed. And the reason people move around so much is they say, well, it's just not not scratching my itch like it used to. Well, what about you scratch its itch? What if God sent you to the local church, to that church, maybe this church, to help it, to strengthen it, to make it what it's not? It's not all about you. It's all about the church. I'm about to preach, okay? So when I say God expects you to be a member of a church family, why? Why does he tell you to be a member? Not just so you can have all of your itches scratched, but also so that you can contribute to that body of believers and make it better than when you got there. So just because you're you're, you're not having all your needs met doesn't mean God is saying, hey, time for you to move. That's a real news flash to some people. Now, third, a Christian without a church family is a contradiction. A Christian without a church family is a contradiction. Because we are a family, so if you don't have a local church family, you're a contradiction. Well, Jeff, now not you because you're here tonight, but some say, well, Jeff, you know, I I just kind of, I couldn't find the right church, or I got really burned in a church, so I just stay home now and watch Joel Osteen. (laughs) And I read my Bible. But listen, 
Nobody on TV can reach out and touch you, pray for you, know your name, marry your living, bury your dead, visit you in the hospital. You're, you're talking about an image. God doesn't call you to an image. He calls you to a church body. That's free. I just thought I'd say that. Now, the goal of this class is that I will commit myself to Christ and to the TPC family. That's the goal of this class, that I will commit myself to Christ and the TPC family. Now, what makes Turning Point Church a family? Four things unite us. Our salvation, what God has done for us. Our statement, which is why we exist as a church. Our strategy, how we fulfill our purpose and our structure. When and where we fulfill our purpose. So let's talk about our salvation. And we're just going to start at base one, ground level. This is basic, basic. Galatians 3, 26 to 28 says, For now we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we who have been baptized into union with Christ are enveloped by him. We are no longer Jews or Gentiles or slaves, or free men, or even merely men or women, but we are all the same. We are Christians. We are one in Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's talk about what it means to be a Christian. Most people live their entire lives without ever knowing why, and I think that's the saddest life you can live. You never know why. Why you're here, what you're about, what you were designed to do. You may learn a trade. You may be very successful in business, but understanding your ultimate why can only come from God. And so many people live and die never knowing their why. Now, they exist year after year with no idea of why they live or God's purpose for their lives. The most basic question a person can ask is, what is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of my life? Everybody wants to be happy. People try lots of ways to be happy. Some look for happiness by acquiring possessions or stuff or things. Some look for happiness by experiencing pleasure. Some look for happiness by gaining prestige and power. But real happiness comes from understanding my purpose. It is that simple. Real happiness. When I understood my purpose, it totally changed my life. When I got saved, you know my story, I was in juvenile home. But about two years later, I had a powerful experience with God through the Holy Spirit. And God showed me my purpose. And when he showed me what he had put his hand on me to do, what my purpose was, what he had designed me to do, my shape, when he showed me, it completely changed my life. For the first time in my life, I had a vision for my future. And, and it changed my life. And it, it's been what has driven me all these years up to now. And, and, it's, and, and it's just as strong as it was way back then. My purpose. Why did God make me? So it begins with, why am I here? Why am I here? Well, first, God made me to love me. That's one reason I'm here. God made me to love me. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31, 3. And then Ephesians 1, 4 to 5. Even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his 
through our union with Christ. Listen to these words. They are so powerful. Before the world was made, God chose you. Whoa. Now, because of his love, God had already decided that through Jesus Christ, he would make us his children. This was God's pleasure and purpose. So, before the world was even made, he chose us to be in union with Christ because of his love. So, God made me to love me. Can we just say together, God loves me? We sing that little children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know. But a lot of Christians, it takes them years to really believe that. But he does love you. Second, we were created to enjoy a personal relationship with God and to manage all the rest of God's creation. This makes us special. Amen. Genesis 1.27, God created human beings, making them in his image. He blessed them and said, live all over the earth and bring it under control. I'm putting you in charge. Now, I love dogs. You know I love dogs. I've got two dogs. And my, my right arm is all scratched up from playing with one of them out back. She's so heavy. I, I, I rescued her. Uh, and, well, I digress. But she was really um, playful. A couple of nights ago, I took her out back. And she just scratched my arm to pieces. I woke up the next morning with my arm all scratched up. Now, let me tell you about my little dog. I love that dog, and God made that dog. But that dog never wakes up and says, what is my purpose? Why did God make me? Because animals never think of themselves. They can't introspect. But you can. Because God made you in his image. Only human beings can ask themselves the question, what am I here for? The rest of the animals, they don't care. Feed them, let them sleep, they're good. But God made you and me to enjoy a relationship with him and to manage his creation. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So say with me, God's not a killjoy. Because he wants us to have enjoyment. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, I've come in order that you might have life. Life in all its fullness. King James, life abundantly. Number three, when we know and love God and live in harmony with his purpose for our lives, it produces tremendous benefits in our lives. If you go through this growth track, I'm going to promise you based on God's word, you will not any longer be wondering when we're done what you're here for. And if you know what you're here for, then all these things that are listed, clear conscience, purpose, power, and strength, these are the benefits that come from knowing your purpose. Life and peace, confidence, fulfillment, help with weakness, security, freedom, all those things. You're going to leave this series with those things real to you. This is the kind of lifestyle God intends for us to live. Well, if that's true, then Why aren't most people really happy? Because have you noticed that most people are not really happy? Have you noticed? If they were, they wouldn't have to be drinking something, smoking something, shooting something, snorting something, looking all the time for another relationship, always unsettled, always in trouble. Right? But we would have peace. We would have joy. Well, what's the problem? Why aren't we happy? Because man has a natural desire to be boss. 
and to ignore God's principles for living. We know these statements well. Look out for number one. And that would be me, right? Do your own thing. If it feels good, do it. Boy, what a terrible philosophy that is. If it feels good, do it. Please don't live by that. It's my life and I'll do what I please. There's even a song that kind of went like that. And I'm not going to sing it because I want you staying for the rest of the night. But remember that song, it's my life and I'll do what I want. Remember? I think it was the Stones, I forget. But look at them now. They look like walking corpses. Okay, that's free. <laughs> and this is going to be videotaped. Okay, great. Now, th- this whole thing about being boss, the Bible calls this attitude sin. Sin. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to his own way. That's Isaiah 53. If we say that we never sin, writes John, we are only fooling ourselves and refuse to accept the truth. Sin breaks our close relationship with God. Sin causes us to fear God with the wrong kind of fear and to try to live our lives outside of his will. That's what sin does. Sin subtracts. Obedience always multiplies. Sin destroys. Jesus gives life. The trouble is, Isaiah diagnosed the human race with these words. The trouble is that your sins have cut you off from God. All have sinned, writes Paul, and fall short of God's glorious ideal. Fall short of God's glory. And the Greek word there is in a tense that means all have sinned and are continually, daily falling short of God's glory. Until we get rescued by a Savior, we are just continually falling short of God's glory. When our relationship to God is not right, it causes problems in every area of our lives, in our marriage, our career, relationships, finances, everywhere. If you start living in sin, you let the devil into the door, then it starts, it starts uh, subtracting from your life immediately, and it starts corrupting and affecting everything. It's a guarantee. The soul that sins, it'll die. The soul that sins, it'll get in trouble. The soul that sins, it'll experience depletion and subtraction. And it starts hitting the main things that matter, marriage, career, relationships, your money, honey, You start spending it on wrong things. You become irresponsible. Your marriage falls apart. Your relationships are affected by sin. When people have problems, they often try many different ways of coping before they turn to God. The Bible says there are ways that seem right to man, but they only end in death. Proverbs 16, 25. So when we get into trouble in any of those main areas of life, when we don't know Jesus, when we really, and a lot of times when we do know Jesus. Isn't it funny? You can be a child of God and still turn to God as a last resort when we get into trouble. But lost people do this all the time. They get into trouble, all their relationships start falling apart, and their lives become a train wreck, and they look for every solution but God. But when all else fails, it's wise to follow directions. 
Here's the direction. Even when we know that our deepest need is God, we often try wrong ways of getting to know him. Have you ever heard these? My mother was a Christian, so everybody say, you're, you're never a Christian by default. Amen. Amen. My mama was a Christian. My grandmama was a Christian. My, my daddy was a Christian, so I'm okay. No, you're not. You've got to be born again yourself. Amen. Or how about this one? It doesn't matter what you believe. Just be sincere. That is so stupid. <laughs> I mean, isn't that just so stupid? Yeah. I mean, even with a phone number, we know we've got to get every number right. Right? You can, you can have all the desire in the world to reach the person at the other end of the line, but if you don't dial the right number... We know that, right? 817-832-2333 is the right number. We go 817-232-233. One's okay. I don't want to do that last three. You're not getting through. Sincerity won't get you in contact with that person. Right? So if you want to know God, you got to dial J-E-S-U-S. Or you're not getting through. You can dial Muhammad. You can dial Buddha. You can go hug a tree. But you're not getting in. You're not coming into contact. Y'all hearing me? So it does matter what you believe. Sincerity won't get you there. How about this one? I'll give up all my bad habits. There's no salvation by reform. There's no salvation by reform. You, you can go through rehabilitation for years and get off all the drugs, get off the smoking, get off the drinking, get off the chewing, get, get rid of all the old friends, but that does not save you. Reform doesn't save you. Amen. Only transformation yeah. saves you by being born again. I'll work real hard and earn it. You can't earn it. There's no salvation by your merit. I'll be religious and go to church. Well, go to church all you want, but sitting in a church building doesn't get you saved. Amen? Amen? It does not. I mean, we see that every week. We have people getting saved every week. They have to come down and come to Jesus. Now, so what's the solution? Well, Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God himself came to earth as a human being to bring us back to himself. If any other way would have worked, Jesus Christ would not have had to come. The way is a person. Can we say that together? The way is a person. But not as any person, the man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus has already taken care of your sin problem. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, God did this for us because he loves us and wants us to know him. It says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still separated from God by sin, Christ died for us. That's so powerful. And then Paul wrote to Timothy, God is on one side and all people are on the other side. And Christ Jesus is between them as the mediator to bring them together by giving his life for all mankind. So here's Jesus. Let's just say I'm Jesus. I'm far from it. Let's just say that right now. So I'm I'm reaching out this way to the human race. I'm reaching out this way to God. 
I'm holding God's hand here. I'm holding the hand of the human race here. On the cross, I pulled them together. And I joined God's hand with the human race's hand. That's what a mediator does. A mediator is a go-between. He stands between. And that's what Jesus did. God has already done this for us to restore our relationship to him. He took the initiative. Now he waits for us to individually accept what he has done for us. Now, what does God want me to do? Well, first, admit that God has not been first place in your life and ask him to forgive your sins. You've got to repent. You've got to repent. I'm going to preach sometime soon on that word, repent. It's not going to be hellfire and brimstone. I'm going to show you how, how everywhere through the Bible the word repent is found and how without repentance there is no salvation. But that's another topic. It says if we confess our sins, that's repentance. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every wrong. Second, believe that Jesus died to pay for your sins and he rose again on Easter and is alive today. If you confess that Jesus is your Lord, said Paul in Romans 10, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, not might, not hope so, not maybe so, not perhaps so, you will be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, Jesus, by which we must be saved. You must be saved through that name and by that name and all that name entails. Third, accept God's free gift of salvation. Don't try to earn it. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. Our relationship to God is not restored by anything we do, but on the basis of what Jesus already did for us. That's so hard for uh, those of us here tonight who have that Protestant work ethic. We just believe there's got to be something I've got to do to help me get saved. And the bottom line is there's nothing you can do to help you get saved. You put your faith in the one who already paid it all and all to him you owe. Amen? Amen. Because Jesus paid it all, not some, not most, but all. If you ever study the cults, you will find that there's not a cult out there that doesn't require you to do something. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, you can name it, cults. And a lot of teachers that have gotten into the church, particularly charismatic churches, make you do something to be saved. But the bottom line is that if, if there's something you've got to do, it's wrong teaching. Amen. The truth is, it's by grace. I'm saved through faith in the one who paid it all. Yes. Period. Amen. Amen. Amen? Fourth, invite Jesus Christ come into your life and be the director, Lord of your life. I've come to believe there's no such thing as getting saved and then saying, now I'm saved, but, and later I may decide to make Jesus Lord of my life. That's bad teaching too. The minute you're saved, hey, he's the boss, man. The minute you're saved, he's the Lord. Amen? Amen? The moment. You don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. And so the minute we're saved, we're, we're purchased. We're bought with a price. We can't live the way we want to anymore. We're to live according to his will. Now, 
To all who receive him, it says, he gives the right to become children of God. All we need to do is trust him to save us. All those who believe this are reborn. Not a physical rebirth, but from the will of God. Jesus says, listen. I stand at the door, the door is your heart. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You can take these steps by praying a simple prayer of commitment to God. And I'm not going to read the prayer. It's a great prayer. We pray something similar to this every Sunday with people. The promise is this, Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Amen. Now that's salvation. That's, that's just basic foundational truth. But now, after you're saved, what then? Well, I'm I'm so glad I'm talking about water baptism tonight, since baptism is this Sunday. But after you're saved, you need to be water baptized. Now, why should I be baptized, you may be thinking to yourself. Well, first of all, to follow the example set by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was baptized. It says, Mark 1, 9, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized by John in the river. Jesus was baptized. Second, because Christ commands it. That ought to settle it right there. Look what it says. Jesus said, go then to all people everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So Jesus said, go everywhere and make people my disciples And the first thing you do in making them a disciple is baptize them. Jesus said, baptize in water. Now, when I got, uh, when I really gave my heart over to Christ, uh, the first thing I wanted to do was get water baptized. And this is back in the days of the Jesus movement, where a bunch of us um, hippies were being saved. Uh, The devil had, had just tried to steal my whole generation. And just so many of us were wasted on drugs and rebellion and confusion so a whole lot of people like me were, were getting saved all over America. And so first thing we want to do is get baptized. Well, I, I wasn't in a local church at that time. I didn't, I didn't know where a baptistry was. It was in the dead of winter, but I wanted to get baptized. So we all piled into this um, uh, Volkswagen bus. You know, remember the flower power? You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Volkswagen bus. And we went to Lake Dallas. It was sleeting. It was. And, and so we decided, well, <clears throat> we're going to run in that water. We're going under. We're coming up. And we're running right back into the Volkswagen bus and get changed. So one after another, we went out there. And I remember my time came. And I went running out into that water, and I froze like a popsicle. I was just sort of bobbing like a cork. And you could hear the ice hitting the water. And God blessed the guy that was baptizing us. I think he made it home. But anyway, I'll never forget. I, it was obedience. And he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. I had hair down to here. And down I went. But when I came up, folks, I'm telling you, something came over me that was glorious. It was powerful. The Holy Spirit was on that ice cold water. The Holy Spirit was with me, getting me back into that Volkswagen bus alive and well. And if I can get baptized with sleep pelting the water, you can go out here and get water baptized. 
Amen? This Sunday. Third, it demonstrates that I'm really a believer. It says many of the people who heard him believed and were baptized. 1 John 2, 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And he commanded us. If we say we know him, then we will obey his commands. I think that's one of the acid tests of somebody that's really been saved. If somebody tells me they've been saved and they're still living their old life, they have not been saved. I can tell you right now, they haven't been saved. If they're still living their old life, they're not, they have not been saved. Because when you get saved, something in you wants to please God. Not that you won't make a bunch of mistakes. That's not what I'm saying. But your motivation is to obey God and to please him. And with something as easy as water baptism, and we know Jesus commanded it, if we're really saved, we'll get in that water and take the plunge. Amen? Amen. What's the meaning of baptism? Well, first it illustrates Christ's death and resurrection. It says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Colossians 2, 12, when you were baptized, here's what happens when you're water baptized. Here's the, here's the symbolism. When you were baptized, you were buried with Christ, and in baptism, you were also raised with Christ. So that's why when we baptize somebody, we say, buried with him by baptism into his death and raised to walk in the newness of life. Because water baptism symbolizes you're burying your old life and you're, and you're coming out of that water to live a new life. Which leads me to the second thing. It illustrates my new life as a Christian. When somebody becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. The old life has passed away and a new life has begun. Romans 6, 4, by our baptism then, we were buried with him and share uh, his death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so also we may live a new life. Baptism doesn't make you a believer. Now, I may offend some people here tonight, but I'm going to tell you, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism simply... Um, shows that you are saved. I was saved in jail. There there was no baptism tank in there. Now, let's just say I had life in prison. God forbid. Let's just say I had life in prison. And I get saved in a prison. There's no baptistry in prison. Are those prisoners going to go to hell because they couldn't get to some water? No. It is a step of obedience, but it doesn't save you. By our baptism then, we were buried with him and shared his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we may live a new life. Baptism doesn't make you a believer. It shows you already believe. Baptism does not save you. Only your faith in Christ does that. Baptism is like a wedding ring. It is the outward symbol of the commitment you made in your heart. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, why do I have to be immersed? Why can't I just be sprinkled? Wouldn't sprinkling be easier? I've had people ask me, can you just sprinkle me? And I say, well, can you not get in water? Oh, yeah, I can get in water, but I was raised with the sprinkling thing. I said, I don't sprinkle, I immerse. And they look at me like a calf stares at a new gate. You don't sprinkle? No, I don't sprinkle. What am I going to do? I can't imagine putting my fingers in a little bit of water and ha, 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 hama, hama, hama. No, I'm putting you under. And, and if you're good, I'll let you up. No. 
<laughs> One lady, I said to her, now we put you down, and after we say the Lord's Prayer, you come back up. And she was all eyes. I said, I'm just kidding. But why be baptized by immersion? Well, first of all, because Christ was baptized that way. That's good enough for me. I can stop right there. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Now, the Greek word for baptized here is baptizo, and I get that a little bit later in this message. But when it says he was baptized, it's baptizo, and that means immersed, dunked. We say take the plunge. You're totally under. That's the meaning of the word. When it says they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it means they were totally immersed in the Holy Spirit. Same thing. Every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. It says, then both Philip and the man went down into the water, and Philip baptized him, same word, baptizo, when they came up out of the water. The word baptize means to be immersed in water. The Greek word, as I've already said, is to immerse or dip underwater. It best symbolizes a burial and resurrection. And the founders of major denominations agree, like Martin Luther. He said, I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed, as the word imports and the mystery signifies. John Calvin said the word baptized signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. John Wesley, buried with him, alludes to baptizing by immersion, according to the custom of the first church. Now, why should I be baptized? Every person, or who should be baptized, rather? Every person who has placed faith in Christ, without exception, if you can get to water, you need to be baptized. Acts 2.41, those who believed and accepted his message were what, everybody? Acts 8.13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. Acts 8.12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. At Turning Point Church, we wait until our children are old enough to believe and understand the true meaning of baptism before we baptize them. Some people ask me, now, Pastor Jeff, should I be baptized again? Because when I was baptized the first time, I had no clue what I was doing or I was a kid. And I say, it's okay. Be baptized again. Because if you did it and you didn't even know what it was, I believe God would have us be baptized intelligently, informed. And if you were baptized as a little baby... That didn't take. You need to be baptized when you've been saved. And you understand what it is. Some churches practice a baptism of confirmation for children. This ceremony is intended to be a covenant between the parents and God on the behalf of the child. The parents promise to raise their child in the faith until the child is old enough to make his own personal confession of Christ. And this custom began about 300 years after the Bible was completed. The early church did not practice that. We dedicate children. We pray over them because that's all over the Bible. But baptizing little children is not. This is different from the baptism talked about in the Bible, which was only for those old enough to believe. The purpose is to publicly confess your personal commitment to Christ. Now, Pastor Ray is always baptizing children, but they preach the gospel back there. And these kids have gotten saved, and they know what they're doing. 
When should I be baptized? As soon as you have believed. Acts 2.41, those who believed were baptized. Then Philip began with the scripture and told him the good news about Jesus as they traveled along the road, talking about the Ethiopian eunuch. They came to some water, and the man said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized right now? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the man answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's all he needed to say. And Philip took him down to the water and immersed him. There's no reason to delay. As soon as you have decided to receive Christ in your life, you can and should be baptized. If you wait until you're perfect, you will never get water baptized. Can my family be baptized together? Absolutely. We had a whole family come down and receive Christ in one of the services Sunday. A whole family. Now, if each family member understands fully the meaning of baptism, and each one has personally placed his or her trust in Christ for salvation, we encourage families to be baptized at the same time. Wouldn't that be cool to be baptized with your whole family? What a memory. It's a wonderful expression of commitment. Young children who wish to be baptized are asked to meet with our minister of children and so on and so forth. Now, it is important to remember that baptism is a personal statement of faith, not a family tradition. It's usually not wise to delay your baptism while waiting on other family members to accept Christ, particularly children. If you get saved and you're the first one in your family, get baptized. What should I wear when I'm baptized? You can read that. We're giving you a t-shirt now. I don't know of another church in this city that does that. You'll be given a special t-shirt to be baptized in. And best to wear pants you don't mind, if you don't mind, that you don't mind getting wet. Bring a change of clothes, a towel, and a plastic bag for your wet clothes. Will you have to say anything? No. At the beginning of the service, Pastor Jeff or another pastor will briefly lower you just under the water. And then you can leave the baptistry, dry off, and watch the others. We encourage you to invite all your relatives and friends to attend your baptism. Now, what about special needs? We have had, for instance, truckers come through who got saved and want to be baptized, but they couldn't stick around for church. And we have, we have gotten the baptistry ready a few times and baptized people with very special, unique needs. Uh, and we will do that. I mean... We will do that. If you're traveling through and there's no way you can be here for a service, we'll do it. Now, that's water baptism. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Jesus never asked his disciples to remember his birth. Have you ever thought about that? But he did instruct them to remember his death and resurrection. He gave the church two visible symbols that we call ordinances as reminders of his death. These two ordinances are baptism that we just talked about and the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance. It's an object lesson that represents a great spiritual truth for believers. So let's talk about what the Lord's Supper is. First, it's a historic fact. It says the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. That's a fact. Jesus established this ordinance. Second, It's a reminder. It says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat it in what, everybody? Remembrance of me. So we have, we observe the Lord's Supper in our uh, Sunday morning services once a month. And we we do it regularly. Uh, I think it's, which Sunday? 
the second Sunday of the month, and, and uh, we do it to remember what he's done. And we, we apply by faith what he has done for us. Last time we did the Lord's Supper, we had the sick come down and prayed for them while they held the elements. Because one of the things that Jesus did was he was, he was beaten so that we could be healed. With his stripes, we are healed. So we not only remember, but we apply by faith what the Lord's Supper represents. Third, it's a symbol. In the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a symbol. Drink it to remember me. Now, some of our Catholic friends believe literally that the cup becomes the blood. And we don't teach that because, again, I don't want to offend anybody, but let me just tell you the Bible doesn't teach that. That is not what this means. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it to remember me. He is not saying that the drink, the wine, or the grape drink, or whatever you're using becomes the blood, nor is he saying that the bread becomes his body. It does not. Jesus is not turned into millions of wafers around the world every Sunday. I'm just telling you. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, well, that's what I was taught. Well, I would would take you to the word. That is not what this means. The cup doesn't become the blood. The bread doesn't become the body. It's a symbol. It's a symbol. You're not eating flesh. You're not drinking blood. You are remembering he shed his blood and his body was broken so that we could be healed. Okay? Fourth, it's a statement of faith. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. Amen? Now, who should take the Lord's Supper? Only those who are already believers. I would never give the Lord's Supper to an unbeliever. Because they, they, they're not part of the family. Amen. Communion is family business. Okay? It says to anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Now, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 11 to say that some people had actually died prematurely because they were going to the Lord's Supper, and you know what they were doing? They were using the bread to eat because they were hungry, and they were using the wine to get drunk on. And they were not discerning the Lord's body And they brought judgment on themselves. Now, I know that's heavy, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So you never give the Lord's Supper to somebody who's not a child of God. Doesn't make any sense. Third, how do I prepare myself for the Lord's Supper? Well, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A person ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And here's how you do it, by self-examination. And that means you say, Holy Spirit, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Is there any unconfessed sin? Now, I think we sin in four ways. In our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, and in our attitudes. If you can show me another way you can sin, I'd like to know. That's it. You're either going to think something you shouldn't, say something you shouldn't, do something you shouldn't, 
or cop an attitude that you should not have. Amen. That's how we sin. So before I partake of the Lord's Supper, I say, Lord, is there any unconfessed sin? And the Holy Ghost will search you, and he will speak to you. Isn't it amazing when you pray that prayer, something you hadn't even thought about is brought to your mind? So, whoop, yep, forgive me, Lord. And if you need to recommit, that's the time to do it. Confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, and restore relationships. That's why almost every time we have the Lord's Supper, I lead you into praying with me, Lord, if, if I have ought against anybody, I forgive them. As you have forgiven me, we forgive them. Because you don't want to partake of the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin. Now, I hope I haven't scared a lot of you away from the Lord's Supper. I can see some of you passing the stuff down and letting it go past you next time. Don't do that. Just, you know, I don't want you paranoid. I just want you, Lord, if there's anything I need to pray about, show me. Okay? How often should we observe the Lord's Supper? The Bible doesn't say. We do it once a month. Some churches do it every single week. Um, as much as you want to. I know people, I know families that do the Lord's Supper at home. Amen. They, they have the Lord's Supper amongst themselves, and that's fine. We do it the second Sunday of the month. All right, I'm going to stop there. And next week we're going to talk about the TPC statements, and we're going to finish this first section. So, having said that, are there any questions? with anything we've gone over tonight. Any questions? And this has to be a question about this material. Um, way back in the back, Aaron. Way back. Way back there. <laughs> can, I can hear you. Go ahead. Your thoughts, your words, your actions, your attitudes. Thought, word, action, attitude. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes. Yes, I was uh, baptized as a child in the Lutheran faith, and I really appreciate that you addressed that. Mm-hmm. About five years ago, I accepted Christ again and was baptized as an adult. Since then, you know, I've totally regressed and had issues with drinking and some other things right. in my life. And mm-hmm. the question is rebaptism and rededication and, and where, where does that come into play? And, you know, I, I, I had all the intention that Christ is my Lord at that time. And then obviously I didn't follow what yeah. I should have. Okay. My advice there would be not to be rebaptized because if we rebaptized every time we drifted or messed up, There'd be a whole lot of waterlogged Christians, all right? Seriously. So um, I would suggest you knew what you were doing five years ago. I would leave it there, um, and I think you're good. I believe you're, you're fine. Recommitment is the issue, and I believe you have recommitted, so I, I believe you're fine. And I believe Scripture would say that. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just. He doesn't go on to say, and, and by the way, you better get rebaptized. Amen. You don't see it. Amen. It's not there. All right? Here? Okay, hang on. He's coming. Yeah. I have two questions. One, is that why you guys usually do the Lord's Supper with the baptism? No, we don't. 
Oh, sometimes I do. No, we water baptize on another day oh. totally. My second question is, you sat there and said that you don't give the Lord's Supper to, go to somebody that doesn't believe. Mm -hmm. Then why do you give it to newcomers here? Why do I what? Why do we give it to newcomers? No, no offense to people that anybody. Well, newcomers is not unbelievers. Uh, a newcomer is not an unbeliever. A newcomer is a, a visiting Christian. I, I would not suggest giving it to a uh, somebody that's not saved. It doesn't mean anything to them. So, um, and that's what Scripture would that? teach. How do you know whether or not they are? Well, I just, well, I've seen people who wouldn't take it. I have to assume that if you're lost, you do let it go on by. I'm not going to, every time, I'm not going to specify, well, if you're lost, because, because that day I'm going to go for their soul. Thank you, Aaron. I'm going to go for their soul, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, you know, lead them to Christ. So I don't want to, during communion, say, well, if you're not Say, you know, get out of here and don't partake, you know. So Amen. I don't want to get legal, overly legalistic where I drive people away, okay? Anyone else? And just hold on to it, Aaron, okay? There you go, because time is slipping quickly. No. <laughs> so I went to a church of Christ, and uh -huh. I was told that you couldn't get baptized uh, or you couldn't partake in communion unless you've been baptized. Is that true? No. I don't think it is true. Now, again, I always go to the scriptures. And I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that if you haven't been baptized, you can't partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, it's not there. I can believe, and when I believe, I'm saved. When I'm saved, I can partake of the Lord's Supper. We just want to get you to the water in an act of obedience as quickly as possible because I really do believe it's relevant to your Christian life. Okay? Anyone else? All right. Good stuff. Let's stand together. Amen. Next week is going to be good. You're going to, you're going to so understand as we go through this series why Turning Point is here. And why you're here at Turning Point. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for helping us tonight to understand, uh, Lord, baptism, the Lord's Supper, salvation, the basics of the faith. We thank you, Lord, for establishing us in the truth where we're not confused about it. We're not uncertain about it. We're not foggy about it, but we, we get it. And Lord, I just thank you that as we continue to go through this and we go into deeper water, as we go through this series, that you're going to establish us in faith and you're going to reveal to us what your grace on us is, your purpose for us is, and you're going to lead us into a place of spiritual maturity that we've never known. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.